It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great show in store today. Uh, as um, Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, Mike McPherson. Um, you know, events are starting to happen again in stadiums and arenas, and uh, Mike works for a company that... Uh, uh, offers a total ticketing engagement solution and has some expertise on how to conduct these these big huge events uh, relatively safely uh, during Omicron. We're going to get into all of that then in the middle of our three-hour tour, the second hour. We're going to talk with um, Michael Carr and Travis Fry from Calixt, which is a company that um, uh, does plant-based synthetic biology solutions um, and and it's interesting uh, stuff that's way over my head about chemistry and technology and uh, plant-based engineering anyway it's a fascinating conversation plus during the second hour we're going to uh, have some highlights from Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer's uh, State of the State message, which she gave last night, and we'll have, uh, as I mentioned, some highlights from that. But we start out this morning. My first guest is a uh, pediatrician who's been in the business for more than 40 years, is still practicing, and has written a book about his life in pediatrics called The Heart of Caring. He is Dr. Mark Vonnegut, and if that name sounds familiar, it's because he is the son of a very well-known American uh, writer, Kurt Vonnegut. And uh, Mark joins me by phone. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hi. Good. Glad to be here. Um, let me ask you about this book. It's um, A Life in Pediatrics, but it, it shares some stories of some of the patients, some of the kids that you've worked with uh, throughout your career. Um, but it, it also is a bit of a treatise on uh, uh, the healthcare system in the U.S. How much is um, uh, memoir and how much is uh, treatise? Uh, it's, I would say it's, it's 50-50. The memoir part is really to describe uh, how I've been, you know, blessed and able to practice medicine for the last 40 years. Um, so, uh, and, and part of the 
treat treatise sounds so dry, and that's what I I didn't want to just serve up. Um, all the insurers are bad. The pharmaceutical industry is bad, which <laughs> I do I do, I do believe they are, but uh, sort of relative to the the freedom and the joy I've had practicing, um, I don't think the next generation of patients or doctors is going to ha- are going to have the same choices. And the key question is, why are we spending $4 trillion for what the rest of the world does better for $2 trillion? Um, so that's, um, I mean, but that's an integral part of why doctors are burning out and why doctors uh, don't get to spend 40 years in the same community and why, and, and you know, why doctors are, 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 and patients are unhappy with medical care. How did you decide to go into um, into medicine and pediatrics in particular? Well, I, it was um, the end of the sixties. Um, the world hadn't ended the way my teachers and parents. I still blame them for <laughs> for being <laughs> uh, alarmist, and uh, so the world didn't end, and so. Uh, it was time to to uh, leave the commune. I regret nothing. I'm 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 you know I learned a lot uh, from the sixties. Are you saying they were? All. Are you saying they were doomers? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were. And I you know I I remember asking my father specifically you know what's going on, and it was you know right after Martin Luther King. Junior been shot, and he and he sort of got angry. He said, "I'm experiencing uh, this this at uh, the same time you are. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so there, there was no sense of you go to school, you do well, you get a job. Um, there was a sense of of urgency uh, around poverty, racism, war, um, and." And we've, as 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 teenagers and twenty year olds, we thought it was our job to to fix it. But after that became relatively unimportant, uh, and I figured out the world was going to go on, I thought, well, what should I have done or become were it not for all of that? And I said, well, I was good at math and science. I want to be of service, and um, medical school is where I should have gone. I was six years older than all the other applicants, but I got lucky. Well, yeah, I would think so. You graduated from Harvard. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I applied to 20, 20 schools, and Harvard's the one that took me. It's kind, it's kind of a cosmic joke, but that's what really happened. That is funny. I, I'm glad you mentioned um, and talked about your dad for a moment and, and that period of time in U.S. history and, and the, the whole idea of doomers. I mean, we were kind of laughing about that a little bit, Mark, but it sounds so much like the things that we're hearing now. When you discovered the, that, that the world was going to go on, did you ever imagine that it was going to go on in much the same way? <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I do think, I do think um, a fair amount changed. Uh, at least some, some good came out of it. When I look back, um, 
and I, you know, I can look at the Vietnam Memorial, and I have friends on that wall, and I can also look at the 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 people on the you know, who were against the war, and they were casualties too. There are a lot of very bright kids who ended up sort of, um, you know, as not where they expected to be. These were people who in normal times would have been professors, and they were uh, landscapers and substitute teachers, which is what I was uh, before I got into medical school. And you've been practicing for over 40 years and you're still seeing patients i am fewer i look back at what i used to do like <laughs> during a flu season where i counted it up and there was a day i saw nearly 60 patients but it was you know it was just sort of a sorting you go you flu 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 pneumonia flu, flu. <laughs> so you get you sort of a battlefield uh, triage uh, person there some of the time uh, but now I have I have a lovely schedule I schedule at least a half hour every visit I take my time um, and uh, and I love being able to do things that way well that's got to be a lot better than viral duck duck goose yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what was it about uh, about kids that that drew you specifically to pediatrics? It was the resilience uh, of children, and it uh, you know partly I thought I could have used a good pediatrician, um, and it was it was really um, it, it it yeah it's the resilience how 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 much they want to get better how they do get better, how capable they are of changing. And I liked, um, pedi- I liked pediatricians and hanging around with them better than other doctors. I, loved, I also loved plastic surgery, but that wouldn't have, been, that wouldn't have fit in with um, the, the way I wanted to do things. Well, not the plastic surgery of, of fixing people's noses, but the plastic surgery of, uh, of, of dealing with kids with burns and birth defects. You know, that's so interesting, Mark, that you liked the people that were doing pediatrics. I, I talked with a urologist uh, earlier today in an interview that's, uh, that was recorded that will air tomorrow. And, um, and I asked her what attracted her to urology and she said she did a rotation with some urologists when mm-hmm. she was going through medical school and the people were so nice she liked them and that's how she picked the field and you said very much the same thing and it's it's so interesting because in the past when I've asked people that same question mark they've had a family member or you know someone close to them who has suffered you know from you know some specific yeah. ailment and that drew them into the field and and you know to hear that it was just well, you know, I met some of the people that were doing it, and I liked them. And, and that's, I, exactly. that's just such a great answer. And again, that's one of the things I got to do, uh, which I fear uh, the next generation 
won't get to do, at least, you know, partly because of uh, they're facing enormous student debt and they have to worry about paying that back. I was free to go into pediatrics because I liked pediatrics. What would prevent someone from making that choice now? They would come out of school between a quarter and a half million dollars in debt. Um, the jobs I've had of relatively uh, independent uh, uh, practice, uh, being able to give a ca away care when it was appropriate, being able to really uh, see the same patients um, over and over, um, because so, many, so much of medical care now is you see a doctor you've never seen before and will never see again. And, the, and that's just not very rewarding. So it's, um, so it, it's, that's, that's what it is. I've been able to be an idealist. I've been able to have patients be my boss. Uh, and I fear that um, people are going to have to not live with their idealism. And I feel that they're going to be told what to do um, by, by people who don't necessarily uh, care as much about their patient's health. You know, I want to talk about uh, two parts of, of this new book, The Heart of Caring, A Life in Pediatrics by Mark Vonnegut. Um, the, I, I want to talk about some of the uh, some of the kids because you share some of their <laughs> stories, and and obviously that's going to be fun. But I, but there's also an urgent part of the book where you um, where you are very critical of healthcare in America, and 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 I want to talk a little bit more about that too. Okay. And, and I'm trying to figure out what to do because I have a break coming up in two minutes, and I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how what I want to what I want to get cut off in the middle of. <laughs> um, I, I have I have I have a story I can do in under two minutes. Oh well, let's let's hear it. I had a six year old. I told him he had to pee in a cup, and he told me, "What's wrong with your bathroom?" <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. There's there's a great scene in a in a James Bond movie. I th in fact, I think it might be uh, Goldfinger, where uh, James Bond is is with this uh, um, very attractive female doctor, of course, and um, she says, you know, she asks him to pee in a cup, and he said, "From here." <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, we do have a break coming up. My guest is uh, Mark Vonnegut. Mark, can you stick around for uh, a few minutes so we can dig into some of these things I brought up? Uh, my pleasure. All right. Um, anyway, uh, Dr. Vonnegut is a, a pediatrician. The name of the book is The Heart of Caring, A Life in Pediatrics by Dr. Mark Vonnegut. And we're going to uh, talk with Mark some more. But first, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOV. Uh, LP, Our Voices Radio, 92.1 FM in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. 
And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll have more with Dr. Mark Vonnegut and more of the Tom Sumner Program straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org.
I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our uh, conversation about a life in uh, pediatrics with the author of a new book called The Heart of Caring. Dr. Mark Vonnegut uh, joins me by phone. Mark, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Not a problem. (laughs) Now, I mentioned before we went to break that I I wanted to talk about the two primary parts of your book. One is... uh, um, the, the criticism and recommendations uh, with regard to the state of health care in the U.S. today. Um, and, and the other, and you, you told a charming story about one of your patients uh, before we went to break, um, but the, the other part of the book is a, a collection of, of anecdotes uh, involving some of the children that you've seen over the years. Um, why, why do that collection? Uh, and and share it with people. I think the two are are very related. Um, I do think we could not have uh, cared for uh, a girl with no money with advanced cancer uh, would not be admitted to a hospital and treated the same way. I would not be have been able to be completely in charge of patients with relatively uh, rare disease. They would have been. So I think uh, the money and the mission are are related. I also have things that what does what does the fact that you had a rock and roll band, um, you know, <laughs> when you were an intern, and I still play with some of the same people. What does that have to do with medical care? What, what said, instrument, well, think, Mark? Uh, saxophone. Oh, good for you. And. I have a pedal steel, and I have some digital, I, and, and I play with kids in the office. I keep one there, but it's, um, but I think that's related to uh, the fact that we worked harder, had less burnout, and had more to say about the care of our patients. Um, you know, <laughs> I've had rock and roll bands since I was in junior high, and it's always been a beautiful, wonderful, joyful part of my life. Um, what about the, the, the kids that you've seen? What, um, what were some of the criteria you used in selecting children that you wanted to tell people about in this book? They were kids that, uh, especially moved me. And again, they were kids that showed how medical practice has chaired has changed uh, for the worse, like, um, you know, having to write a letter every year that says uh, Maggie Kerr still has no left leg. Um, that's, it's, 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 it's not funny, but it's, you know, it's an indication of what doctors have to do to get children wheelchairs and things that they, they need. Um, 
And so I have, you know, patients with relatively rare things like the extremely brittle bones. Um, and the fact that he was counseled out of his private insurance and told by the private insurer that there was a program for patients who had special needs like him that was called Medicaid. I mean, this, so, you know, I, my respect for taking care of these kids and sort of the privilege to have done it over years um, and part of that and what I've had to do and what hospitals have to do and everybody has to do to do uh, what we should be doing as a matter of routine, taking care of sick kids, it's sort of those stories go together. You know, I've I've always been uh, a, a little skeptical, I think, is maybe a little too mild a word, about just the way that, that health care insurance fits into the overall program. And I, um, I've often referred to the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare as the Save the Insurance Companies bill. Um, <laughs> but it and, seems... And, and, no, and I was also going to meta, say meta, Medicare Part uh, B, C, D. I mean, other people have insurance that pays their medical bills. They don't have Part A, Part B, Part <laughs> C, Part D. <laughs> yeah, I've got A and B, but they wouldn't let me have the rest of it. I, I'm not sure exactly what that's about. But but the idea is that there is this this middle echelon of of insurance that can determine and and I realize that some of the things that have been done and included in healthcare legislation is because healthcare is so incredibly expensive they want to try to build in things that that um, oversee what the the billings are for and what's being prescribed and so on and and I understand that but it's created this this complicated mess that has people uh, counting more than helping right and I do think that the notion that insurers were going to oversee things and make them <laughs> better for patients is just uh, that's it's it's just not that's not the way it is uh it's the insurers who have made things so incredibly expensive over half of my overhead in my office and over half of hospital overhead is um devoted to making uh, providers do nonsense rather than taking really good care of their patients Patients and doctors are already highly incentivized to find the best possible care and to not waste money and to not do unnecessary things. The insurers do not, never have, and cannot make us do our jobs better. We don't do them perfectly, but, um, but we need help from within and from science. We don't need help from somebody who makes me write letters like Maggie Kerr still has no left leg. <laughs> that that is so strange and and I can't, you know I can't help but laugh and as you pointed out Mark it's it's not funny but it is because mm -hmm. it's so ridiculous some of the steps that you have to go through how could mm -hmm. we how could we do it differently how how should it operate because there are people 
who cannot afford even the simplest of of decent care. That's right. Over over half of the population, um, you know, is uh, one emergency room visit away from from poverty and and homelessness. The largest uh, cause of uh, bankruptcy, personal and family, is medical bills they cannot pay. Um, to and and to, to I think that fixing things wouldn't be easy because of the politics involved. Um, but I do have a pretty um, you know efficient formula for how to do it. I have to quote one of my heroes is Lady Gaga who says, uh, you have to stop crying, you have to go kick some butt. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think we go get back to, uh, you know, how I was educated and trained, um, which was you do no harm. We have plenty of evidence that copayments, deductibles, uh, prior authorizations, and all the rest of it cause significant harm. There was a study where 34% with a 34% increase in mortality mortality attributable to copayments for prescription medications alone among veterans. It's not surprising that not being able to afford prescribed medications is bad for you. Most doctors and most patients most of the time know what they are doing and it's unlikely that making their care more expensive is going to improve it. So, but we have, unfortunately, we have a system where this extra $2 trillion uh, is going into somebody's pocket and, um, and they're very well politically connected and uh, it's very, very hard to do that. But I think with the idea that we uh, take some of the profit out of, out of the nonsense, we'll make some of the nonsense go away. And it's it's not hard to do the math and say what is hurting us as opposed to what's helping us. And and I can't help believing you mentioned uh, in the the earlier segment, Mark, just, just very much in passing, that part of why you got interested in medicine and ultimately pediatrics was an affinity for uh, science and and math and and chemistry and so on, um, but. In today's world, there are so many people who deny the science, and and we've seen this yeah, just um, really magnified by the pandemic and and the politicization of it, uh, politicalization, I guess, if that's a word, um, with this notion of you know vax versus not vax masks versus non-masks and and so on and and there's just very little trust in elected officials and uh agency heads and and even uh spokespeople for for the medical and science communities i think it's our fault and i think it's our fault because um they now they see science and they see medical care as mostly for the benefit of um, of the wealthy. People do not need, uh, you know, thousand dollar pills, ten thousand dollar a day hospitalizations. They need basic medical care. And when so, I am trying to talk people into immunizations. They 
quite literally say, yeah, but the hospitals charged me $2,000 for this, or um, the, the pharmaceutical industry is just trying to sell me medicines I don't need for thousands of dollars, or the insurers, whatever. And I have to just say, I have to agree with them. I say, yeah, 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 but your child, you are still better off having your child immunized rather than not. But I think that distrust, I think uh, to some extent, doctors and hospitals ha have not made it clear that we are on our patient's side rather than um, the, the money side of these, of these equations. How is it that, that doctors um, seem to be going along with uh, the way things are, the status quo? Is it, um, is it the money? Is it um, just it, a, it, a it, lack it, of getting together and saying no? Yeah, both. Uh, <laughs> part one. Part one. These poor residents are coming out into the world looking for their first adult job, a half million dollars in debt. That sort of constrains their choices, and they're saying, okay, well, you can be uh, an ophthalmologist and get $800,000 a year, or you can become a pediatrician and get two. Uh, and so if somebody who's looking to pay off that level of debt, their choices are somewhat, you know, they're constrained. And um, the other thing, what was it, about money um, is, yeah, the debt is a big part. I had two, I had $20,000 in debt when I got out of uh, residency, and I thought it was the end of the world. But when you look at a young person who would, might want something outrageous like a house and children, looking at that level <laughs> of debt, um, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. Is there is is there a path that that just needs to be pointed out that that we could go down that would that would move us into a better way of doing things? Is it just uh, um, yes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, why I like why does it seem so hard? Because. Um, you know the the student debt just doesn't exist there it's it makes a lot of money uh, you know for someone um and so you ask the question well how is it done elsewhere in the world where they're giving better medical care for half what we're spending and you say okay well what does it cost to become a doctor in france um and the answer is very simple it costs nothing because most communities and most cultures believe that a well-trained doctor is a good investment that is going to make things better by, by taking good care of sick people. So that's part of the problem. If you start a doctor in debt and by all the, you know, for all the evidence around them, what they're doing is about money, then they are going to be discouraged and they're not going to be able to convince the rest of the world that they are in their best interests. And um, like nurses have done a great job of, um, you know, they say, we're going on strike. They're not striking for money. They're striking to be able to take care of like four patients a shift rather than six. And that's just a quality issue. 
medical care with nurses taking care of fewer patients is better than than the other way. So I think you know that's a clear um, case of healthcare providers, namely nurses, who have done a much better job than doctors politically. Um, have make it very clear to the public is we're here for you. We're not here for the money. You know, I'm glad you brought up nurses because something that's been troubling me a little bit is in this whole um, political fight about vaccinations, whether mandates are appropriate or not and so on. We've seen, at least here in Michigan, and I imagine it's true in other states around the country, where nurses are refusing to get vaccines and then if they're mandated to by the the healthcare facility the hospital or clinic or wherever they work um they're leaving those jobs and there's there's mm-hmm. now a shortage of nurses how can people in the healthcare field reject commonly accepted vaccines and and similar treatments i think it's all part of the the four trillion for what we should be spending two trillion i don't think uh and there are doctors you can go on certain television networks i won't name uh and find you know fully trained physicians uh advising people not to get vaccines the the not trusting science goes right through you know it's it's part of the of the money disease people look at it and say these people are in it for the money and that includes you know that includes some nurses and it's a cultural thing um where uh if your family if your friends if if the news you listen to is telling you you could be hurting your fertility you could be hurting um, yourself 20 years from now, um, people are just as likely to believe that as, uh, as you know, as Dr. Fauci or any, or any scientist. People have lost faith in science and medicine, and I think that money is the reason, and I think it's related to um, doctors not being able to take good, compassionate, caring um uh, care of the of the of their patients you know you mentioned earlier when we were talking about uh, uh about the 60s and i was thinking about all this this ruckus being made about the uh covid19 vaccines and I, you mentioned the 60s and i was around then and i remember getting the little sugar cube for mm-hmm. the uh, polio vaccine right and right. uh, you know i and and what's interesting about it mark is i remember being given that sugar cube at school absolutely can you absolutely. imagine trying to distribute vaccines through public schools in today <laughs> but uh, again we had a common belief in science and and medical care Within, you know, within my childhood, um, uh, we learned how to cure leukemia. Uh, nobody, there were no out-of-patient expenses. Uh, we saved lives uh, and it didn't cost anything. We got rid of polio for, 
literally nickels and dimes called the March of Dimes. Uh, yeah, and I was herded into a gymnasium, and you weren't getting out of that gymnasium without a shot. And um, and there, I promise you, there was no informed consent. There was nothing. There was a there was a consensus that science uh, knew what they were doing, and the doctors and the pharmaceutical industry and everybody were basically on the same page. We're not on the same page anymore. Have you have you heard the story uh, of? Uh Jeff Sherman and the um, uh, uh, polio vaccine and how it influenced his uh, his father and uncle, the famous Sherman brothers that wrote all the songs for Disney. No, uh, I, I, I... Jeff came home from school and my, to- told yeah. his dad he'd gotten a vaccination at school, and his dad said, well... How did that happen? You hate shots. And he said, they gave me a little sugar cube. It inspired the song Spoonful of Sugar in the Mary <laughs> Poppins uh, movie. Yeah. yeah, and that was, it was up to science, and they used real numbers uh, to decide whether you were going to get the shot or the sugar cube. Uh, and the sugar cube, for many reasons, replaced the shot. And now we're back to the shot because it's more effective. But that wasn't debated you know um on news shows it was you know science dictated the best way to go um and i've said for years that school nurses are much better um at (laughs) convincing at getting kids immunized i mean i'll sit there for a half hour discussing things and school nurses don't smile and (laughs) and you get your goddamn shot and you get out of there quick that's funny i i had a a family dentist he sadly passed away a few years ago but when my daughter was very young she was in the chair for her first filling and he got the drill out and she was terrified so he etched her initials in one of her fingernails with the drill (laughs) it was brilliant mark yeah (laughs) and mark i feel like we could we could trade stories uh like that all day but um, we're almost out of time, and I always want guests to have an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about and more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the book uh, by Mark Vonnegut, uh, The Heart of Caring, A Life in Pediatrics, is a great place to start. But, Mark, do you have a website you could share? As of last week, I've joined the modern age, and I actually have a website. All right. www.markvonnegut.com. And if I didn't have uh, a devoted wife and a 19-year-old, I never would have gotten such a thing. Um, (laughs) People can send, and do, send letters to my office. Uh, That's easy to find the address of that. I answer all my letters. Well, Mark, I'm glad you uh, answered our invitation to be on the show today. It's been a real pleasure talking with you and sharing your thoughts uh, uh, with the listeners. And I I hope maybe we can uh, get together and chat again sometime. That would be great. All right. Well, Mark, keep up the good work. (laughs) Thank you. You too. Take care. (laughs) You know. Okay. Thanks. That was uh, Dr. Mark Vonnegut, his book, The Heart of Caring, A Life in Pediatrics. And uh, we're going to take a uh, short break. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. And um, 
they are WFOVLP 92.1 FM in Flint. Our Voices Radio is a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There is more of the Tom Sumner Program straight ahead. And don't forget, you can go to that website and uh, look up past interviews on the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car. Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey. Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. My Community College. It's pure Michigan. 
Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. For once, the walls of the Bickerson's apartment do not resound with the persistent snoring of husband John, more's the pity. There can be only one reason for this astounding phenomenon. John Bickerson is not home. Two o'clock in the morning finds Mrs. Bickerson on the telephone with Sister Clara. Let's listen. What did you say, Blanche? I said I haven't heard from John since he left for work. You'd think he'd telephone me or something. Well, maybe he tried to call. You've had the phone tied up for over an hour, Blanche. You've called me three times. He's never done this before. I think he wants to upset me. He gets so angry every time I spend a dollar. He says I'm the biggest spendthrift in California. Am I, Clara? I don't think so. Well, John does. And you know how careful I am about money. Yes, well, I have to give the baby his bottle. You do? What time is it there in New York? It's almost 5.30 in the morning. Georgie gets a bottle every two hours now. He's four weeks old. He isn't gaining much, though. Well, what does he weigh? 61 pounds. I don't like the doctor we have now. He thinks George is too heavy. Well, I think he's the cutest little thing I ever saw. Oh, did John's shoes fit him all right? Well, they pinch a little in the toes. Oh, well, you can get them fixed. Oh, I think John's here. Goodbye, Clara. John! I can't find the blasted light switch. Oh, I'm so glad you're home, sweetheart. I'm in here. Huh? Never mind the lights. Come to bed, darling. Oh, I must have the wrong apartment. Uh, Excuse me, madam. John! back here. Oh, hello. Where have you been? Working. Let me get undressed. I'm exhausted. Why didn't you call? Don't throw your good coat on the floor. John. You can sweep it up in the morning. No call. No message. No nothing. Why didn't you call? Didn't have a nickel. You did too. You had a quarter in your pocket this morning. Who did you take to dinner tonight? The whole chorus from Earl Carroll's That's Me Boy, Diamond Jim Bickerson. Don't be so funny. Oh, I'm not funny. I'm exhausted. I bet you never even thought of calling me. Other men call their wives. If Mel Shaw leaves the house for even five minutes, he calls Louise. Calls her what? That lot you care about me. I've been sitting here worrying myself into a stew. What did you eat? Stew. John Bickerson, let me look at you. Are you sure you've been in the office till now? Well, where do you think I've been? I don't know. You didn't pass a cocktail bar on your way home, did you? I never pass a cocktail bar. That's what I thought. You had a drink. I did not. 
You had more than one. I didn't have any. Then why are you trying to take your pants off over your head? What pants? This is the sweater you made for me out of your old slacks. I'm the only man in town with a V-neck seat. Stop complaining. It keeps you warm. Put out the lights, Blanche. I can't hold my eyes open. John, you're not going to sleep in that horrible old sheepskin vest. Well, I'm cold. Take it off. It looks hideous. Nobody sees it. Now you just get up and put on some pajamas. I hate pajamas. They strangle me. Well, you can't wear that thing. Can too. What if there's a fire? I won't go. Good night, Blanche. You just get out of that bed and hang up your clothes. Don't leave them for me. Blanche, I'm sleepy. I'm always crawling under the dresser and picking up your collar buttons. I pick up your ties and I pick up your handkerchiefs. What do you think I am, a vacuum cleaner? No, Blanche, a vacuum cleaner can be turned off. Look, Blanche, do me a favor, will ya? I worked 18 hours today. Just let me close my eyes for a couple of hours, will ya? I'm afraid. The minute you fall asleep, you'll start snoring. No, I won't snore. I never snore. How can you say that? You've never missed a single night since the second day we were married. You snore on Monday, you snore on Tuesday, on Wednesday you snore, on Thursday you snore, so what'll you do tonight? Oh, for the love of... (sighs) Nobody would believe it. I'm married to a cellar pump. John, John, you promised you wouldn't snore. And the minute you close your eyes, you start it. John! Blanche, what do you want from me? I won't stand for it. Go sleep in the guest room. We haven't got a guest room. If you were a good husband, you'd see that we had two guest rooms. You used to have plenty of ambition before we were married. Whatever mm. happened to your get up and go? He got up and went. I might have known you like you are. Selfish, inconsiderate, thoughtless. You didn't even send me a Valentine card. St. Valentine's Day isn't until tomorrow. It's still tonight. Tonight was yesterday. Today is tomorrow. What? And I know you didn't send a card because you didn't send me one last year. Well, I forgot last year. You always forget. You forgot my birthday. You. I bet you don't even know when you married me, do you? No, I don't. John Bickerson... You don't know when you married me? When? Oh, I thought you said why. I suppose you think you great catch. I could have married a half dozen of the wealthiest men in town. No, I had to fall for your smooth talk. You kept calling me your buried treasure, didn't you? Didn't I what? Didn't you always call me your buried treasure? Maybe I did. Well, what have you got to say now? I'm sorry I dug you up. Good night, Blanche. Sorry you dug me up. There wasn't another girl in our crowd who would ever have given you a second look. Oh, I don't know about that. Most of those dames thought I had what it takes. Well, maybe you had it. But who took it? And what did I get out of this marriage? Jewels? No. Clothes? No. Money? No. What did I get? No. I'll tell you what I got. A one-room apartment and a leaky icebox. A leaky icebox? Every night my pillow was wet from my tears. Put a pan under it. You're not listening to me. You don't care what happens. I wish I'd never been born. Oh, Blanche, what's the matter with you? Why don't you go to sleep? How can I sleep? How can I sleep when I know you don't love me? Who said I don't love you? Well, you never tell me you do. 
I tell you a thousand times a day, I offered to pay a man $50 for a six-inch tattoo that says, John loves Blanche. Why did you object? Because it would show when I wore my evening gown. Well, I was going to let him do it on me, too. Anything to put a stop to that same question night after night after night. If you'd only say it once of your own accord, I'd never ask you. Okay, I love you. Do you love me only? Yes. When I'm away from you? Yes. Well, say it. I love you only when you're away from me. Yes, <laughs> we do. Maybe that's why you stayed out, cavorting, until two o'clock this morning. I wasn't cavorting, I was working. What for? Because I get paid for overtime and we need the money. I have to make a payment on my car next week, $84. <gasps> Where will you get that? Oh, I got it. It's in the desk drawer. No, it isn't. It is, too. I looked yesterday. You didn't look today. Oh, Blanche. Well, there's only $60 in that drawer, John. What happened to the other $24? Don't look at me. Listen, Blanche, there are only two people who have a key to that drawer, you and I. And $24 is missing. Well, let's each put back $12 and say no more about it. I knew it. I knew it. What did you blow it on? Well, I had to pay the phone bill. I made a few long-distance calls. Long-distance calls? Who did you call for $24? My sister, Clara. I was worried. She had a tooth pulled. How could you squander my money like that? I deny myself everything. Do I even buy toothpaste? No. I've been brushing my teeth with a whisk broom. I stick tinfoil in my cavities to save on dentist bills. I've been wearing an upper plate that belongs to my cousin. And she calls New York every five minutes. Don't make such a fuss. Claire is my only sister, and I have a perfect right to call her. Anyway, Barney's in the hospital. Who's Barney? Clara's husband, when he was out looking for a job, he tripped over a bar rail and two cases of bourbon fell on his head. Well, it's the first time the drinks were ever on him. How can you say that? Barney's not cheap. He takes good care of Clara. She has a lovely home, and they've got money for everything. Oh, sure, money for everything. Don't sneer. Last week, Clara had her tonsils taken out and Venetian blinds put in. With a mouth like hers, they could do it. That, that bum Barney isn't working. Where do they get the dough? Accident insurance. He's collected a fortune on accident insurance. Every time Clara has a baby, he jumps off the roof. What? He doesn't hurt himself too bad, just enough to collect the insurance. You haven't got any, have you, John? No, I don't want to talk about it. I want to sleep. But suppose something happens to you. What if you have an accident and you can't work? We'll starve. We're starving now. That's too bad. It's easy for you to talk like that. If anything happened, I'd be left helpless and destitute. Why don't you get some accident insurance, John? I'll get some next week. You say it, but you won't do it. Why don't you get it now? What? Go on, get up, get some accident insurance. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's almost 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, people have accidents all hours of the night. I'm not going to have any accidents tonight. How do you know? Blanche, why don't you let me sleep? Well, just promise me you'll get some accident insurance. Why? Because it's a wonderful protection. Clara told me two weeks ago a man broke his hip and he got $5,000. Last week, Barney fractured his skull and got $10,000. Well, what about it? Next week, you may be the lucky one. Good night, Blanche. Good night, John. 
show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>